Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. broadcast today is entitled, What's the Emphasis? Last week, I was talking with a good friend of mine who is also a believer and a faithful member of his local church about various issues such as preaching, the call to preach, the Word of God, the health of older churches, and fad religious movements, among many other topics. As we were speaking about those various subjects in our conversation, an interesting concept came up in our discussion. We were lamenting the fact that many times older churches are often overlooked in a community for the latest and greatest new place to go to church. Now, that's certainly true, and it is always difficult, if not heartbreaking, for faithful pastors of older congregations to see their numbers evaporate as folks leave to land in an exciting new place just miles away. While we're entertaining that notion, might I just elaborate for a moment? A pastor prays for the congregation each and every week. He visits them when they're hospitalized. He preaches funerals for their family members, many of whom are perhaps members of the church as well. He administers the ordinances, he baptizes people, he serves communion, he officiates weddings, he counsels people when they are in distress. But many times it takes very little for someone who has been faithfully served for years to drop their congregation and their pastor like a hot rock, either at an offense or because something new and shiny exists just a small distance away. And that is so very heartbreaking and sad to us when we see it. Now, to be clear, I say that as a random observation, not because that has happened to me recently. It hasn't happened to me recently, but it does happen. It is something that exists in churches. And might I just interject this thought to you if you're a church goer? If you have a pastor that's been faithful to you, then praise God for him. Be loyal to that man of God. If he's loyal to the Lord and he's been loyal to serve you, be loyal to him as well. 
follow him as he follows Christ. Esteem him highly for his work's sake. That's what the Word of God calls on you to do. There are no perfect churches. It doesn't matter what church you're talking about. It doesn't matter what congregation you're talking about. Churches are made righteous by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because they had no righteousness of their own. In congregations, you're going to have people with personalities that might not mesh well with yours. There will be people in congregations who offend you. There will be people in congregations whom you will offend unintentionally most of the time, because we're all sinful people. Offenses must needs come in the world, Jesus said, and that doesn't mean that there's some divine orchestration and we couldn't help it when we offended people. What Jesus said when he said offenses must needs come is that simply we live in a world that is broken and that is fallen and we are sinful, and because of that, We will offend people from time to time. We will be offended by those that we love from time to time. And again, there's no such thing as a perfect church. But many times, all it takes is a little bit of an offense or maybe just a desire to go be a part of a shiny new congregation with a nicer facility on the other side of a town for someone to jump ship and to go somewhere else. This led us to, in that conversation that I referenced as I began my broadcast today, an observation that I want to share with you. I warn you in advance that some of what I say today is going to come across as critical. It's not meant to be. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to be judgy. I'm not trying to be pharisaical. And I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy or a stick in the mud. At the same time, if you listen to political commentary or economic commentary, you hear critical thoughts of other people and their publicly espoused ideas all of the time. If you're a person that follows American politics, you hear critical things espoused by people on the radio and people on the television about politicians literally every day, if you're a political junkie, like I used to be for many years. And we're never offended when someone criticizes a politician, especially if we don't agree with that politician. We take it simply as, well, that's life. It's common if you're a public figure to be scrutinized, and when you are scrutinized, that invites criticism. You will be criticized, you will hear criticism, and that's not an unusual thing. If we grant pundits the right to constantly scream about those with whom they disagree, those they politically oppose, why is it that a minister of the gospel cannot point out legitimate issues within the greater Christian community without being called overly harsh or judgmental? There are folks, good Christian folks, that get irritated at preachers any time a critical thought is expressed. Now, to be very clear, That's not all we need to do, and we need to take heed lest we fall. We need to be conscious that with whatever judgment we judge, the same will be meted out to us. If I'm a critical person, and I'm harsh, and I'm judgmental, and I find fault with everyone and everything, eventually that will lead to my downfall because I will be judged as harshly as I'm judging others. I've seen that happen from time to time in certain Christian polemics organizations, and among some high-profile Christian ministers who spend most of their time criticizing other people. Eventually, it is time for them to be scrutinized, and 
none of us can really stand up to the intense scrutiny that we could be given. We are all sinners. The church is full of sinners, and every single person has some dust under the rug. Every person has a skeleton in the closet, as it were. But at the same time, it's so common for us in America to criticize a pastor for being critical, while at the same time, we relish that behavior when it comes to politics or sports or other things that we are interested in. Now, think about this. It's even necessary. It is a necessary component of education to be criticized and to hear criticism. That is literally what we do when we go through the education process. Could you imagine a math teacher being told that they're too judgy, quote-unquote, for counting off points for the wrong answers? I hope that's still a far-fetched idea in America. We've gotten so politically correct that now it is wrong to tell anyone that they're wrong about anything. Now, that's a little bit absurd, but think about the importance that criticism and discernment and judgment has in our day-to-day lives. So I'm not being intentionally judgy when I share some of the things that I share with you today, but these are very important issues that I believe the church in America needs to consider. I don't say this in a harsh legalistic spirit. We don't want to have that attitude about us, but we do need to address issues when we find them. After all, Paul instructed Timothy to reprove rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead is appearing, and his kingdom preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. So we're literally commanded as preachers to confront problematic viewpoints in the Christian community when we find them. That's literally part of our job. We can't always be giving some fluffy, encouraging message. Sometimes we have to bring criticism as well. So what is the observation that I want to share today in light of that conversation with my friend about certain fad movements and older congregations dwindling down as folks tend to gravitate more towards the latest and the greatest new congregation in their community? This observation pertains to the general church atmosphere, the atmosphere of churches, The focus during worship of a lot of churches today, the marketing of a lot of churches today, and what churches today do to attract new people and the unchurched. This is an observation. Maybe put a different way, this observation regards emphasis. What churches of various denominations are emphasizing in their public assemblies? Now, this is a very vast and diverse subject, what churches emphasize in their assemblies. Church in our country has many flavors because of our blessing of religious liberty and many different points of emphasis between these various denominations. Some churches are political organizations devoted either to right-wing or left-wing politics in America, and I would just say that that's a different problem 
for a different day, but that is most certainly a problem in American churches. Some are just social clubs. There are organizations that call themselves church in our country that actually have no religious affiliation. They're not even Christian, but they call themselves churches as a sort of do-gooder social organization. But I really want to shine a spotlight today on a mindset that we often find in America, particularly in churches that have designed their services in order to attract the most people as quickly as possible. In America, many times when folks talk about what draws people to church or what they find appealing about a church has to do with the atmosphere of the worship experience itself rather than the Word, the Lord, the ordinances, etc. While on the surface, you might not think there's anything wrong with that. Well, we go to this church because we like the worship experience. We went to this church because we like the music. We liked how everyone danced around as they sang. We liked the darker lighting of the organization and the smoke and the spotlights and the lighting and the lasers. We liked the way the lead singer sounded. We liked the way the guitar players sound. We liked the volume of it, whether loud or soft. We have placed a great emphasis in America on flavor of worship And by the end of this broadcast, I hope that you will be able to see how this modern way of thinking actually violates the Great Commission itself. Wait a minute. The emphasis on worship in modern American churches violates the Great Commission? How does it violate the Great Commission? Well, hang on. As I share this controversial thought with you today, and by the end of today's broadcast, I hope that you will see what I am saying. First of all, in recent decades, we've seen a movement in American Christian churches called the Seeker-Sensitive Movement. You can Google this and spend hours researching it. You can read Point and Counterpoint, where people have debated this issue. But basically, the Seeker-Sensitive Movement asks the unchurched what they would like in a church with the hopes that they would come to church and be converted. Now, you might think, well, what's wrong with that? Why wouldn't we want to ask people who are unchurched what they like and then provide them what they would like so they would come to church and be converted? Well, just briefly, that's wrong because we don't define what church is to be like The unchurched are certainly not supposed to define what church is to be like. The Lord has defined what church is supposed to be like, and the Lord defined what church is supposed to be like in His Word, in His Bible. This mindset of seeker-sensitive church actually has led to worship services being commercial productions instead of actual worship services. In a biblical worship service in the first century, they would come together, they would spend a great period of their time in prayer, people would confess their faults one to another, they would be healed, they would find healing from their faults, the Word of God would be studied, they would hear the Word of God spoken and preached unto them, the ordinances would be observed, they would be kept, people would be baptized, people would take communion. But as far as the worship experience, the music, They would speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in their heart to the Lord. 
And so you could have church in a person's house. You could have church in jail, as Paul and Silas did. You could have church in a chariot, as Philip did with the eunuch. You could have church in the synagogue. You could have church in the temple. You could have church in the school of Tyrannus. I'm citing places all through the book of Acts where church was held. And in every instant, church looked the same. People sang hymns. It was participatory. They worshiped from the heart as they spoke those lyrics of those psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They heard the Word of God presented not in a way to make it appealing to the flesh or appealing to an unconverted person. Preachers simply proclaimed the Word, and the Holy Spirit made it work. In our day and age, worship has become very commercial. They've been commercial productions instead of worship services. The Word, and especially the hard sayings of Scripture, have taken a back seat to rigorously rehearsed bands, technology, lighting, booming subwoofers, fog machines, etc. Now, this should be concerning to a Christian. Jesus himself said in John chapter 4 that they who worship the Father must do so in spirit and in truth. You probably are familiar, if you're a Bible reader, with that conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman at the well of Samaria, after Jesus had spoken to this woman with great uncertainty about the things that were going on in her life, though he had no ability to know that through normal learning, and he does this because he is God incarnate, this woman says, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. The conversation turns towards religion in John 4 and verse 19. She says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, the mountain of Samaria, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. There's a lot of history packed into that statement that we don't have time to go into on the broadcast today. But suffice it to say there's a debate about where worship is to be given to God. They're arguing over the specifics of worship. Jesus says unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How do we worship God the Father then? We worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. If we worship in truth, that means that we worship in a true way. There's a special way to worship, and if there is worshiping in truth, then there is worshiping in falsehood. If I'm to worship in truth, then there are ways that I cannot truthfully worship. There are right ways and wrong ways of worshiping God then, and I'm to worship in spirit. That means it is spirited. I am to do this from the heart. It is something that I am to be actively participating in. Looking through history, after Jesus plainly says that worship should be in spirit and in truth, there's a right way and a wrong way to go about worshiping God, the Church of the Apostles' days didn't operate in such a manner as the Church does today in many locations— nor did the church throughout world history or American history. And I would argue that in times when the church looked the most biblical, worshiping in spirit and in truth, when it looked like the book of Acts, the people who worshiped, and by extension of that, the culture around the people were more blessed. In other words, 
the closer we adhere to the biblical patterns of worship and the doctrines taught in the Bible, the closer we adhere to that, the better off we are. And the better off we are, the better off the community around us is going to be. Worship, then, should not be a production. It should be authentic. It should be participatory rather than a spectator event. And it shouldn't be something that must be perfect, as we usually expect from performances. Now, I say that as a professional musician who plays in pit orchestras in the town in which I live, as a musician that performs in a big band and does his very best to play perfectly. I know the intensity, the demand, the stress that all comes with the expectation of perfection as you are a performing musician. And church is not to be a performance. Remember, I told you that some of the things that I say on the radio today will come across as critical. But the good Lord knows I'm not doing this to be judgy. What I'm trying to do is help you, dear listener, understand that we have lost our way, and we would be better to go back to what is biblical. Now, the knee-jerk reaction to me saying this, you probably think me a curmudgeon, and you might say, Pastor, you're going to have less people interested in coming to your church if you're not being seeker-sensitive and making a production out of the worship service. My answer to that is, okay, maybe so. I am more interested in, number one, pleasing God, number two, honoring Christ, and number three, having a real and lasting impact on people with the Scriptures. If I could disciple and grow one person, I would rather disciple and grow one person than to entertain 100 people. So here's my main thought for today. The seeker-sensitive model where church looks more like a club and people emphasize the feel of worship, is violating the Great Commission. How is this model that we have embraced in America violating the Great Commission? Well, let's look at the commission as it's found in both Mark and Matthew. I'm going to read these for you, and then we will go through a brief list of how this modern pattern is actually violating the clear teachings of Jesus. In Mark chapter 16, after Jesus was risen from the dead, he commands his disciples, his 11 apostles, to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And those are the gifts of an apostle. The apostles had these miraculous powers, these miraculous abilities that you and I do not have today. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives a slightly different variation of this commission, and he would give this several times before his ascension into glory. He teaches the eleven, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Those are the two most commonly used renditions of the Great Commission. So how does the modern emphasis on worship and entertainment and production violate this? Here's how. Number one, we are to go and preach the gospel. 
The gospel is defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I declared unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which ye are saved, specifically in this case, saved as a church from their heretical ideas that there is no resurrection, by which ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you've believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, then of five hundred brethren at once, and lastly of me, summarizing the last little portion of that point that Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 15. How does he define the gospel? He defines it as the teaching of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say in Mark 16? He says to go and preach the gospel unto every creature. Go preach the gospel. So what is the ministry of the church to be doing? They're to be preaching, going and preaching, I might add, the death of the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When Paul wrote to this same church, the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, he says, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. What did Paul use? What did he know? What did he preach? What was his emphasis? It was on the gospel of Christ, the teaching of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Churches are to grow not through elaborate productions, but through ministers going and preaching the gospel. Not to be cute, but rather than show, we need to go and we need to preach the gospel. Number two, preaching the gospel makes disciples. Rather than luring people with a production to come hear a preacher, luring them with the production to come hear the preacher, and then barely emphasize the message at all, heaven help you if it's longer than 15 or 20 minutes. The biblical pattern is for a preacher to take the word out into the community, and when he does that, it makes disciples. Disciples are made. Real disciples are made when preachers take the word into a community. When Jesus said, go teach all nations, the word there, teach, shares a root with the word that translates disciples. So literally, to go teach is to go make disciples. Number three, after disciples are made, the ordinances are to be kept. Go teach all nations, baptizing them. What is baptism? It is one of the two ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. After these disciples are made, the ordinances are to be kept. Do you find the worship experience anywhere in this commission yet? No. What do you have exalted, however? You have preaching the gospel, making disciples, and keeping the ordinances. That tells us that these are a higher priority, or they are to be a higher priority in the church, than the way we get our feels when we are in worship. And number four, after being discipled and baptized, because the preacher has gone out and preached, the word is to be regularly utilized in the lives of these disciples to their own training and growth. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, which included that we are to worship in spirit and in truth from John chapter 4. So to bring our broadcast today to a close, 
what is your emphasis? Rather than the worship experience taking center stage as some sort of a production, the Word should take center stage. Rather than impressing or pleasing curious unchurched visitors, pleasing God ought to be our desire. Rather than entertaining people, we should disciple, train, and mature people with the Word of God and with a worship experience directed at God rather than directed at a crowd in an auditorium. The Great Commission of Christ actually settles this debate for us. It shifts the focus from our wants or our entertainment or our glory unto Christ, to whom all glory belongs. It exalts His Word as the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And believe it or not, it's better for us in the long run as we are better equipped through God's Word to live lives that are separate from the world and more pleasing to God. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received today's broadcast and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.